We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 271. Scott, we have a tendency to record after uh, some bad losses, and we almost had a phenomenal comeback win on Wednesday night, but it was just a tease, and they fell one run short. Just a little short, but you know that's, a, that's what happens when you give up that many runs to the Tampa Bay Rays. You gotta try to make some magic in the ninth, and Luke Voigt almost did it, man. That was a, a shot. I think everybody, including <laughs> including Luke, thought it was gone off the bat, uh, but not so much. Just missed it. So we uh, this uh, this episode, I promise, um, we um, will not talk about who's going to be starting the wild card game. That's <laughs> a lie. Nope. It's it's all anyone's talking about. We're going to get into all that stuff. It's really the only topic that plus home field advantage. We're going to dissect some of the starts. Um, from this series so far. But Scott, you were joined by another Scott, Scott Braun of the MLB Network in the second half of this show. You had a a good conversation with him this afternoon. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Scott and I talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I actually started uh, talking about 
kind of how he got his career off and uh, I thought it was interesting. He's a fellow Jersey kid and, um, you know, started getting into the playoffs and, and certain storylines to look forward to and things that happened uh, last year. And I think a, a few things that many people haven't thought about as far as the rules and how it's going to play into the playoffs this year. So uh, it was a fun conversation. Uh, we talked for about half hour and uh, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. Awesome. Looking forward to hearing that. And we've been reminding you guys on the last couple episodes about the voicemail segment that we're going to be doing sort of a season wrap up um, where we're going to get everyone to call up the voicemail line. Tell us your favorite or your least favorite moments from the season. I think it's going to be a good um, compilation of all things that have happened in this 2018 baseball season, which it seems like it's been five different seasons wrapped up in one season. (laughs) This I got to tell you, man, this this is a, this this season has been exhausting. I, I don't more than more than many that I have remembered because I think there's just been so much of a of a roller coaster of emotions and just straight frustration from the for the last like month and a half. And I think that's what it is. It's like they just we we've all been beaten down over the head a few times. Uh, you know, based on the potential of this team, what we saw in the first half to 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 the show that we saw in the second half. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting season for sure. I, I'm very much looking forward to the playoff. Yes, and uh, if you guys want to call up that voicemail line, the number is six four six four eight zero zero three four two. We're going to be doing that segment on Monday's show, which will be our last episode before the wild card game. That's going to be a um, we're going to talk about the last few games of the season. Hopefully, the Yankees. We'll be playing that wild card game at home and hopefully we'll know who the wild card starter is because if we have to spend that hour on that podcast speculating about who the hell is going to start that wild card game, I think I'm going to lose my damn mind. No, there's no way. Everything will be defined by that day. There's no doubt about it. I have no, I have no doubts. We will, we will have information. Well, you know, you can't predict wild cards, Scott. Just like baseball. No, no like predicting baseball. wild cards. No. Or, or stadiums. You don't even know where to defend. Are we supposed to defend the Bronx? Or, or do we have to defend ourselves in Oakland? Who knows? Uh, we're hoping it's going to be at the Bronx. The magic number as we speak is still two. Oakland is playing. Uh, they are tied 2-2 two to two, um, with the Mariners in the third inning. So hopefully the Mariners can continue to help out the Yankees. Um, they beat Oakland already once this week. So... Hopefully they can get that magic number down to one and the Yankees can wrap it up with a nice easy win on Thursday afternoon in Tampa. Yeah, we need, uh, we need Robbie Cano to make a wink-wink little bathroom break, you know what I'm saying, and uh, get up there and end that game. What Let's are you go. saying? Let's go, Bobby. Let's go uh, put a little uh, juice in the ball, if you will. Did you just and call him Bobby? Yeah, Bobby Cano. <laughs> I've never heard anyone call him Bobby Cano. Obviously, I, Robbie Cano, but not Bobby. Yeah, I call Bob him. Cano. I, I call him Bobby Cano when I'm when I'm trying to like you know talk down to him. It's it's my condescending way of to, of uh, referring to Cano, Robert, uh, Bobby Cano, little yeah. little Bobby over there. It's like when a parent uses uh, your middle name, you know you're in real big <laughs> shit. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. that's my Bobby Cano. It's when I when I really have nothing good to say about him. It's it's Bobby <laughs> Cano, little little bitch Bobby running to the West Coast, which is pretty much everything since he left for the Mariners in that two hundred and forty million dollar contract. Thanks to Jay Z. Yeah, there you go. Thanks to Jay Z, the big Yankee fan. So I was digging into some of the Yankees and the Athletics home road splits because it is still a question on where the game is going to be played. But we're we're thinking it's going to be at Yankee Stadium. That's where. Uh, 
the, the odds are in that favor at this point. And it actually favors both offenses for the game to be at Yankee Stadium because the Yankees, as we know, are a much better home team. They have a 654 home winning percentage. They score 5.59 runs per game um, at home, and they have a 101 uh, run differential, which is very good. They're a very good home team. And then Oakland, when you look at their home road splits, they actually have a, a much more potent offense away from the Coliseum. And that makes sense because that's a pitcher's ballpark. But they score about a run more on the road than they do at home. So if that game's at Yankee Stadium, that's going to be offense, I think, is going to be playing a big factor in that game. Everyone's thinking who's going to start the wild card game, what are the A's going to go bullpenning, blah, blah, blah. But we might be talking about like a six to seven ball game. Yeah, I have a feeling. I mean, that's that's kind of what I've, what I've been saying this whole time about Oakland. Like, I, don't, I, I really don't think they care where they play because – uh, you know, Yankee Stadium does play to their strong suits as well. I mean, they hit the ball all over the place. And if you're playing in a smaller ballpark, then obviously that plays to your advantage uh, when you're when you're up at the plate. So, so yeah, I think the Coliseum is just, um, you know, not a great place for anybody to play. I mean, it's not like they have a true home field advantage with, like, their big home crowd. You know, that, that doesn't exist as much. Uh, but when you uh, go to Yankee Stadium, there's a there's an energy in the in the crowd that is undeniable. And I think... Honestly, as a pro athlete, like that's what you want. You want that energy in the crowd rather than, you know, one that's not. Not to say that Oakland wouldn't, you know, pack the house for a playoff game. They would, but you know, it's a. I think the they might the fact, even take the tarp off the upper deck. Yeah, they might. <laughs> the, the the bowl on top might actually uh, have some fans in it. But you know, I, I just don't think it matters to them at all. And uh, you know, we've been kind of joking that if they were to come out here, they're thinking of it. They already have to make an East Coast trip anyway, so might right. as well come out for the wild card game. Is I, what, I, is what they're I, thinking. I agree with you, though, but for the Yankees, it's important just not only for the men, the reasons we just mentioned, but also just they don't want to have to take that cross-country flight. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of travel. You know, Yankees go out to Oakland if they were to win that game, then they got to come back uh, and go up to Boston. So that's they're going back and forth basically twice. Um, it's, it is a good amount of travel, but, you know, uh, it's just it's, I, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's more about the way that the park plays. And, and yes, it benefits both teams. And yes, the Oakland has a very potent offense, but... You know, at the end of the day, I will take the New York Yankees at home over any team because uh, I do I do believe they have an advantage there. Um, just because you know they they know what they're dealing with at this point with the dimensions of the stadium, and I think they tailor their swings in certain situations. Uh, you know, to benefit from from the uh, from the dimensions. I think the fans have a big say in the, it too. The the crowd last no postseason was unbelievably electric and i think it had a big factor especially in that alcs houston looked like a deer in headlights in those last couple games at yankee stadium in the alcs i mean yeah as much as you want you know um, energy no matter what as an opposing team as well it's definitely daunting if you're up there with a lot of pressure and you got you know <laughs> fifty thousand new yorkers screaming at you so there's a there's definitely a big home field advantage with the crowd because you know, it, it came back with that. I think with that um, that wild card game last year, and you know, it's it's uh, it, it feels like uh, old times in the Bronx. It came back when Didi hit that three when run, Didi home hit run that. in the first inning. Yeah, and hopefully he's on the field for this wild card game. I think the Yankees just scared the crap out of everybody last Sunday when they dropped that news. But it sounds like um, after the MRI and all the stuff, all the tests they've done on Didi's wrists, that he was cleared for baseball activities. We still don't know when he's officially going to be back. I think they're talking about maybe Friday in Boston. But it looks like they definitely dodged a bullet, and it's not as serious as we thought it was when we recorded Sunday night. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's that's huge news, I think, because, um, you know, we, we talked about how the makeup of the lineup changes drastically when Didi's not there. I mean, your your left handed bats are, you know, practically gone. And when if you're facing, a, a, you know, a right handed pitcher, that's a big deal. Um, you, you can flip a couple guys around to the left side, but, you know, Didi's uh, basically the true lefty in there. And, you know, the um, the fact that he'd be out there for shortstop, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. I, I, and like everything came back I- positive and that's a very good sign. And I think the Yankees were definitely, you know, talking almost worst case scenario just to, you know, make sure that they didn't under, uh, you know, un- give expectations that weren't they were o- overly optimistic. Well, um, they did the, the opposite of what they did with Aaron Judge when he yeah. hurt his wrist. They, they, they probably learned their lesson on there. that timeline. And right. for this one, they're like, all right, we better, we better couch this as much as possible to not get anyone's expectations too high. Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. It's still the wrist is obviously a, a big part of, of a, a guy when they're trying to hit. Um, so and it's, it, his throwing, I, it's his throwing hand. I mean, it's, it's his right wrist. Yeah. That's his throwing arm, and he's their best defensive infielder. I made the point, um, I just recorded the, the post-game video after tonight, and the, the Yankees had more sloppy defense in the first inning um, on Wednesday night with Tanaka making that weird play. He should never have thrown it to second base. And then Andujar um, taking forever again on a chopper. I know it was a tough play. But other than Didi in that infield, it's kind of a crapshoot with the defense. Didi's sort of the steady guy in that infield. And yeah, and, and I think if they if he wasn't there, you know, would they go with another steady guy with uh, with Hedgeberia, or would they go and, and you know chance it a little bit and, and and you know get a better bat in there by by uh, moving Glaber over to short and then uh, plugging in Walker or or somebody else at second base? So there's there would be decisions there, and, and you know I'm not I don't think we're out of the woods at this point because I think DD still has to prove that he can go back and swing a bat effectively. I think the fielding will, won't be as much of an issue with with the, with that injury, um, but the you know the the impact with the bat I think that's one of the bigger things um, that's uh, you know that that's going to see it, if he's healthy and he can swing the bat and and it and it doesn't affect him in his swing like that's a huge deal. It's his right again, right hand. That's his lead hand on on swinging the bat too. It's the more Which important. Is, it's the well, more important hand. I don't know because a lot of the a lot of the the pressure actually would be on your on your um your backhand. So it's I would rather it be like I'm a right handed bat. I would rather my wrist hurt on my left because it is the lead. So you're you know the majority of the of the pressure of the bat's going to hit the back of your the, your backhand. So it might might actually be a decent thing for him. Uh, I mean, okay. who the hell knows though. <laughs> we could get real scientific on this. Yeah, I mean, hey, the, I mean, think about it. It's science. It's very much clear science right here. And then it just seems like the Yankees have been limping uh, injury-wise to the finish because Aaron Hicks left Monday's game with the hamstring issue. He probably heard it beating out that double play ball, um, running down to first base. He's expected to be back on Friday. And then also Glaber was scratched from Tuesday's game. He did get in there on Wednesday. But this thing with Glaber was weird because yeah. Hoke, Hoke tweeted out um, that Glaber told him he is not playing today because his foot is sore. And then Boone spoke to the media and said Glaber scratched from today's game because he has a sore hip slash groin area. Right. So you got the player telling you one thing and the manager telling you another thing. What, what the hell is going on there? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the deal was with him on that one. I, I don't even know why that's something that you, uh, you know, you have different stories about. It's it's strange. You know, I don't know if there was a, a number of things that were just sore, but it's uh, you know, obviously when you're talking about the hip and the groin, that's more concerning 
at least that's to, more concerning to the uh, the fan who hears it because we know what you know Glaber was out with a hip injury before so you start hearing about that you're saying like oh this is not good because then there, you have the potential of a, a re-aggravation of an old injury and that's definitely not good so um you know whatever I mean I, I don't know where the mix-up was or, or why they had uh, different stories but seems like he's doing okay um do you uh, well the thing that kind of concerns me if it is his reoccurring hip issue is that he's 21 years old and has reoccurring hip issues isn't that like a 65 year old old man sort of injury well i think this is more of like a tweak in the in the muscle not not like a, a hip like flexor a, yeah it's not like a uh, you know a, he doesn't a, need a hip replacement he's not going to need a hip replacement we're not going to go in there with like a titanium <laughs> hip or anything you know he doesn't have a broken hip i i think this is more of a i could um, use a titanium hip yeah, titanium hip sounds sounds delightful right now. As a matter we of just fact, get titanium everything. Yeah, I could use a titanium elbow. That would be I would I would uh, I would kill for which a titanium elbow. Which elbow? My right elbow. Oh, my be my like, left elbow's messed up. Uh, so yeah, I could be like uh, what's the, the what's the kid's name? Uh, Garshider or uh, what was his in in uh, rookie of the year? He had Gar- like eighty. Gardenhire. Ga- no, Gardenfiner. Yeah. <laughs> Gardenhire. Whatever Garden the hell his name the, was. The shitty manager from the Twins. The um yeah, start just give me some tighter tendons. That's all. Let me uh, throw the ball. At Rowan Gardner. Rowan Gardner. The um, but yeah, give me titanium. Anything seriously? Like I'll just replace all my bones with titanium, and I'm ha- I'd be happy. Um, I actually had this conversation with my dad on the phone earlier today with Dee Dee Hicks and Glaber. Would you rather those three play at seventy percent in the wild card game or use their backups at a hundred percent? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think the the backups. I don't want I don't want injured guys playing. Honestly, it, it depends on how injured they are. But you know, with, with Didi, if if that's if that injury is a problem, I just I can't see him hitting effectively. And and if we're talking about well, then you lose his glove. Well, no, we don't really because then we could have Hachavria, uh play and and really not lose much defensively. And honestly, he's actually been swinging a relatively decent bat, but. I don't want him swinging. I don't want him playing if if he can't uh, hit the ball effectively. I um I think though Didi is gonna it won't, he's gonna try and come back over the weekend. And if he feels no pain, then he'll be cleared for that game. But if he feels pain, I think we'll know if he's gonna be playing in that game or not. Absolutely, and I don't think they're gonna mess around with something like that because because it does. I was listening to um, MLB radio today, and they had uh, Ben Zobrist on. And he was talking about how he had gotten back from a, a wrist injury. And he actually mentioned Didi and was talking about how he's going to be very surprised if he's able to come back and hit because, because the wrist is just that important for, uh, for hitting. And, and if, you, if you have a bum wrist, um, it, it messes up everything and, and just changes everything. So uh, Zobra scared me a little bit more today when I heard that, you know, just listening to his comments and on you know, how he feels about an injury. And granted, you know, every injury is different and every body is different. So um, it'll, it just depends on you know, how the pain tolerance is. One, if it's just a bruise at this point, like a deep bruise. But even that, even a deep bruise can absolutely affect the way you swing a bat. And you mentioned if the Yankees would take a little bit of a chance and put Glaber at shortstop to get some extra offense in there. I actually like just starting Hechevarria, and then that way you have Walker as that sort of Swiss Army knife late yeah, in the game right. that can pinch hit, switch, switch hit, and also play third, first, and second base if you need him. Yeah, no, I love that. That's that that gives you the the flexibility off the bench. That's exactly what I think they should do. Um, I don't think they should mess around with putting Glaber at short uh, at that point because you know you have a guy who can play and and, and play a, like a Gold Glove 
level def- defense at shortstop. Um, he has been swinging the bat decently. It's not like he's been just a you know completely abysmal at the at the plate. He's been better than I think we expected. Hit a home um, run yesterday and hit a home run. So you know I I I would rather do that and sure up the defense. I mean you you talked about it earlier, right? We mentioned how um, <laughs> you put Glaber on there and you know he's got the most errors. Uh, he's got more errors than Andujar at this yeah, point. That so left side of that infield with it would Andujar be, and Glaber is scary. Absolutely scary. Can you imagine trying to you know the the double play being turned? We saw what it looked like actually. It goes into center field. <laughs> um, so bullpenning, the Yankees finally deployed the bullpenning tactics on Monday. They said it was just to get their starters an extra day's rest to get Seve and Tanaka an extra day. I think a lot of it has to do with lining up somebody for that wild card game. But nevertheless, we got Holder as the opener. They used eight pitchers. They combined for a two hitter, one run allowed. And I saw Sweeney tweet this out. It's a great, great little factoid. The pitcher who gave up both hits and the only run, Sonny Gray, was credited with the win. So Brian Kenny is out there yelling at a wall somewhere <laughs> to kill the win. <laughs> uh, probably. That's, I mean, I, I don't even know where you come into that decision. Like, how do you circle Sonny Gray at that He's point? the only one who pitched multiple innings. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. I guess. Um, but what is that? Is that his 11th win of the season? 11th. He has more, two more than, or one more than Jacob DeGrom. I uh, saw someone tweet that out today. That's hysterical. Let's see. That, that's 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 ridiculous. That that he has eleven wins and he's been this bad. Just makes my uh, my point in the beginning. Of the season. Yeah, so much if more he was valid. Mediocre. He'd yeah. be a thirty game winner. I know. God, he blew such an easy opportunity. What a <laughs> dick. <laughs> but um, yeah, the uh, the bullpenning tactic. Uh, I'm good with. I'm good without it. <laughs> Honestly, uh, look, I just I, it worked. Okay, but it worked. It worked. Okay, it worked for two hitter. It worked for a game. day. Yes, it did. It did. It worked for a day. You know. Well. Uh, here's the problem I have with this whole bullpenning thing. The, the 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 odds are just not in your favor. I just I just have a hard time, if, uh, you know, going into a game knowing that I got to get uh, good innings from eight guys. You know, eight eight nine guys. I got to get their best inning. That my odds are so much lower now that one of these guys is going to have a bad time, and, and you know that ra- rather than starting somebody and and then just kind of feeling it out. You know, if that person's not effective or if they're not doing um, what they what you expect them to do, then what's the difference? You're starting him for the first inning, right? Why would you not start the next guy? Uh, well, why would you not I, start the starter? I don't, I don't understand it. I think the conversation, you know, with what the Rays have done this year, I think is is it's never obviously never been seen before, and they have done it to a very high effective level. But it, when, when we're talking about bullpenning for the Yankees. I really think it's interesting for the fourth starter in a potential playoff series because they have three starters, and then that fourth starter, it would probably be uh, CC Sabathia. But are you really more confident in getting um, a f- three-plus innings out of Sabathia than you are out of finding si- – you don't need eight pitchers. You probably need six or seven of your bullpen arms to be on that night. Uh, to get through that game because What's, they use Sonny Gray and Tarpley. They're not using those guys in the playoffs. Those guys aren't even making the playoff roster. So right. you're not using those guys. But in you a might have CC as a playoff game. CC might be a guy in the bullpen at some point during this uh, during the playoffs. See, I, like my my point is, is I don't understand that why why are we starting a guy that doesn't start again when you could just start CC and throw him two innings if you want to do that. The, the idea is that so Sabathia doesn't have to or. 
in theory, whatever starting pitcher doesn't have to face the best part of the opponent's lineup. It would be a guy who is more equipped to get those guys out. And then say you use Chad Green in the first inning against the Red Sox and he faces Mookie Betts and um, J.D. Martinez and um, whoever's batting second, uh, uh, Benintendi. Those are three great hitters. Two of them are right-handed hitters that you don't want C.C. Sabathia facing. And then Sabathia can come in for innings uh, either two and three or three and four or whatever it is when it's the lower half of the lineup. Um, And then you turn it back over to, say, Holder or Robertson or Chapman or whoever. The problem with doing this, first of all, the the Devil Rays, in the, the I keep calling them the Devil Rays. Yeah, like, I, just keep calling them the Devil Rays. I just, I'm saying it case. seriously. No, I mean, I caught myself just saying it nonchalantly. Matter of fact, like that's how I call them now. But they, they did it based on necessity at, at first, right? And then it started working and they started going towards it. It wasn't like this was something they were going into spring training and saying, okay, we're going to go. This is how we're going to do that's this That's not season. true. They broke camp with three starting pitchers. But But why? Because they didn't have starting pitchers. Right. They didn't have them. It was a necessity. They needed to do this. It's not like you're going into the season. Do you think they attacked free agency thinking they were going to bullpen? I have a very attacked difficult time believing it. Attacked free agency. The <laughs> yeah. big free agent pickup was Nathan Avaldi. Right. With, a with starting pitcher. Tommy John surgery. Right. A starting pitcher. Thank you. The, I Two just, years ago. I, I, they planned for that a year and a half ago whenever they signed I, him. I have a very difficult time believing that, that any GM feels like his job is safe. Uh, 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 going at a going into a season knowing they're going to bullpen, you go into the playoffs like this. How can you how can you possibly plan for the fourth starter to be a bullpen guy when you have no idea who or how long they're going to be used before that? How can you possibly prepare for that? You can't, well, because you don't know how you're, when you're going to use those guys. And there's your flaw. The flaw with the bullpenning thing is is you better have a ton of arms. And they better all be available when you need them. And in the playoffs, you have no idea who's available, when they're available, or for how long. It just it doesn't. I, I don't see how it could work. Uh, it, well, the the uh, the thing that you have working for your favor, in f- as far as bullpenning goes in the playoffs, is extra off days. Okay, that I mean that's something. But I still, you still can't plan for it. I, I just don't think you can effectively plan for 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 that type of situation. If you're going to do something on the fly. Um, to me, that's then you're getting cute and you're, you're trying to do things. With, you're trying to have guys do things that they're not normally used to at the end of a season where they've been doing what they've been uh, you know, accustomed to do all year long for 162 games. And then you, you're like, oh, let's change this up. And you do this now. I don't care what your routines are. I know you normally do this and that in the begin in the middle of a game before you get up and get ready. And that's your that's how you prepare. And that's how you've prepared your whole career and your whole season. But now I want you to be a starting pitcher and uh, just make sure you're ready for that. I don't know. Well, it just it's to me it's putting you guys in situations that that are that are less. Uh, you have a, a higher uh, likelihood of failure. If uh, if we get to this point where Sabathia is starting a playoff game, I really don't want him facing the the lineup more than once because we've seen him the last two months just not be very good, especially after he goes through the lineup for the first time. Yeah. So if you're saying you want to get two or three innings out of Sabathia and then go to your bullpen, that's technically not bullpenning, but it kind of is at the same time. I'm okay with that. It's a short hook. You know, it's, it's a, a short hook. It's a it's a it's a known short. It's a hook, short though. leash. It's it's say. not a, it's not a. Um, hey, big fella, try and get through five, but if we have to take you out in the third, we will. It's, we're taking you out in the third inning. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It, that, you know, it is what it is. I think that that situation, first of all, we're getting way the hell down the road. We are. <laughs> we, well, it, we, we have a game to int- win first. We, absolutely. It's just an interesting topic um, 
bullpenning with the way the Yankees rotation is because they do have those three starters with Severino, Tanaka, and Hap, uh, two of which pitched in this series so far. I think Severino uh, certainly did not look as sharp as he did against Boston, but he still went uh, into the sixth inning. He got 17 swings and misses out of his 97 pitches, and he retired eight of his last nine batters. So there were some things that didn't look so great. He walked three guys. He kind of lost the strike zone after the Yankees got him the big lead. But on the flip side, he did have those 17 swings and misses, and um, I think it was more... It was less like the struggles we saw him have in August and more like the Severino, the good Severino. Yeah, definitely. I think the swings and misses is the big is the big takeaway here. Uh, you know, the uh, seven strikeouts, um, 17 swings and misses. He definitely, you know, lost the lost his command for a bit, but he was able to regain it and get back in. The problem is, is that if, if you do that in a, in a wild card game and you lose your command early, you're not going to be there to correct it They're You're going to get the hook, especially after what happened last year. Um, so. You know, I, I, I think it was a good thing. I think, you know, he, he pitched well enough to, you know, give the confidence um, to the, uh, the, the, the coaching staff. Um, but, you know, I, I, think that, uh, I think that all three of these guys, honestly, even after today with Tanaka, um, has the, 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 the confidence is there with the coaching staff, with all three of these guys. Well, that makes two starts in a row for Tanaka where yep. he could not get through the fourth inning. Yep. Or excuse me, through the fifth inning. Yeah, and and I mean he settled down. He threw a lot of pitches early, and and uh, you know when he gave up those uh, the four runs, um, but he gave I mean, up the one home run at the, the defense end. in the first inning. Part of it was his own fault. It was that's his own what, fault. That's what did him in. I yeah. mean, there's no excuse for trying to make that that th- that hero throw to second base. You got to get the shore out at first base in that scenario. Yeah, for sure. And he definitely did that to himself. So I think that also plays into you know what you see it in the, on the line and how his uh, how his outing looked. But I still think I, I really do. I, I think that Tanaka has the confidence of all these guys of of the uh, of the managerial staff um, and the coaching staff and the GM and everybody. I, I think they would be very confident still going in with Tanaka. So you're still on the Tanaka bandwagon for the, for the wild card because last episode you said Tanaka and yeah. I um, I'm still on the Severino Severino bandwagon. Yeah, no, I'm I'm off bandwagons. This is where I am today. I I, I already tweeted out my uh, my scolding hot take. That's that's scolding actually hot. That's cold not take. hot. Yeah, it's not hot at all. It's just nothing. It's just something that nobody ever says. Lukewarm. <laughs> the the um I'm totally impartial. I just I'm I'm indifferent. It doesn't matter to me who throws. They're all good options. I really don't think Boone can make a bad decision here unless it doesn't work. <laughs> That's the only way he can make a bad decision if it doesn't work. He could throw either uh, any 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 one of these three guys and it wouldn't be a bad move leading up to it because I think they would uh they would all be um you know in in line and I think uh, I think everybody has confidence in these guys. So uh, the fan base is going to say Tanaka's They're going to kill him if the decision doesn't After work this out. Point? But I think it's completely unfair for them to do that with how no closely all three of these guys are matched. Absolutely. And I think, I, I don't know about you, but I think um, a uh, a majority of Yankees fans are actually on the hat bandwagon. You know, I, I think it's because 
he's been so steady and what they have see you done for me lately what that's have you done for me lately and they see that he hasn't the lost thing. a game well they also see that he hasn't lost a game as a yankee and and you know you see that zero up there and that's a big deal so i i think there is a, a level of confidence <laughs> there's a little there's a level of confidence there um for for fans looking at that and seeing this guy who's steady eddie and getting through and, and winning ball games you know and i think people have they, they still have in the back of their mind they know what severino can be um, but they also know what he has been from the, in the second half. And, and I think that's scary to people when, you know, we just need to get this one game and let's just go with the guy who's nice and calm and just goes through and is boring and, and wins games every time. Um, Cone made a good point on the broadcast today. I don't know if you caught this, but he said that Hap would actually be the easiest for Gary Sanchez to catch in the wild card game. I did catch that. Trust me, I caught that because I was pissed <laughs> off the fact that a that lot was of even a conversation. Fastballs, uh, not, yeah. m- not much in the dirt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now we're making decisions on base based on the pit. We're making decisions on the pitcher. He didn't say we're making decisions. He yeah. just brought the point up. And I thought that was a really good point. Very and good encourage, point. Very good. I encourage point. people to go. Uh, if you have an athletic subscription, check out the article today um, about how the Yankees evaluate catchers. Um, it's it goes in depth about all of the metrics they use to evaluate um, Sanchez, Romine, Higgy, and uh, not only just blocking balls, but um, pitch framing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Gary Sanchez, as we know, he's not good at blocking balls. He has 17 pass balls. Do you have another one tonight? Yes, he did. So 18, 18 pass balls it surpasses his total from last season in over 250 fewer innings caught. Unbelievable. And then in baseball, he ranks second to last in Major League Baseball for blocked runs. It's a statistic by Baseball pers- uh, Prospectus. Yeah, no, it's um, I- I'm just you know the whole the fact that Cohn brought it up, it's it's a it's a valid point because it's real, <laughs> it's real life right now. But it, I hate I hate that it's it's part of the conversation on who the pitcher is going to be, uh, based on. Who's easiest to catch? Like that's that's utterly ridiculous. The fact that that's even has to be muttered out of a, a, a guy like David Cohn's mouth. But it's real, and it's 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 uh it's very they're real and they're fantastic. But this is this is not fantastic. It's not a fantastic storyline that you have to that you have to consider. It really isn't. And, and but I mean I I know uh, Sanchez is going to be the catcher and I agree with him being the catcher but I don't think that do you think that's a mo- uh, factor in Boone and Cashman's mind on who's going to be starting the game? Um, no, I I really don't I, I I don't know because you know you look at what they've with him and Severino and you know Cohen was talking about this too with the all the um the the mix up with the calls and uh, um, not being on the same page, it was all of that happened with Severino. So there, there, there has been a disconnect with those two, but he's caught him the last two times out. He, he's looked pretty decent his last two times out. So maybe that's just a hiccup. They had to get over and they got over it. Maybe, but do you want a relapse in this one game situation when the, the pressure is, is, is extremely high? I mean, obviously no, but I mean, that, that's worst case scenario. If we're talking about doomsday scenario, it's Gary Sanchez pass ball saga in the first inning bunch of base runners Yankees down three runs again before you can blink an eye except this time it's because Gary Sanchez can't catch a fucking ball yes because if that happened um the Bronx would be burning again I think because that would be that would be absolutely doomsday but look again I'm not my head's not there that's not where I am I am uh you know I'm 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 ready for I'm ready to accept whatever decision that Aaron Boone makes and says this is the guy that's getting the ball 
I think it will be a good decision, and I have confidence in that guy because all three of these guys, I think, have the absolute ability to go in there and um, and, and take care of them. Another another thing about Jay Happ um, that that actually Scott mentioned um, in the segment forward. So here's a little teaser for it. But you know the the Oakland the Oakland lineup is predominantly right-handed. Does that play into the fact that Jay Happ? Um, is a, uh, a left-handed pitcher. Obviously, he, I know he's he's got good splits against lefties and righties, uh, but that but that's something else to consider as well. It it absolutely is, and and both Tanaka and Hap are a little bit more prone to the home run ball than Severino is, and obviously Yankee Stadium is a homer happy ballpark. Yep. No, absolutely. So there's a there's a million things to consider. That's why I, when I tweeted that that I'm completely indifferent because I can literally make a case for or against every exactly. single one of these guys, and every one of them would be compelling. And and you can find a stat that supports yeah. or disproves any sort of argument you can make for any of these guys. No doubt, no doubt. There's not a clear choice. There really is not a clear choice. It makes so, it really difficult because at least last year when Severino went out there and stunk up the joint, no one really blamed Girardi because that was the clear choice to make was Severino. Absolutely. I, I think some of the some of the decisions that are going to be very interesting are, are um, not really who pitches because to me that's not that interesting anymore. It's just like, okay, let's just go with it. But it's uh, the rest of the, you know, who's who's playing left field? Uh, who's who's going to be... Um, you know where where they're positioning is DD playing short. There's a lot of position uh, decisions, uh, position player decisions, and and you know things that that Boone could could do differently. Um, so I think that to me is where we're going to see more of uh, the the decisions that are on him. Um, you know, depending if they're they're going to bullpen. So you know you're you're going to uh, you're going to see lefties and righties. So do you start McCutcheon? Do you start um, Gardner? What are you going to do there? What are you going to do at second base? What are you going to do at short? So I think these are all decisions that will be interesting to see what happens. Quick update, the A's are now up a run in the fifth inning over the Mariners, so Bob Cano and his team really need to, to get moving there. Uh, quickly, before we move on to the Scott segment, the Scott and Scott segment, so a couple of guys, a couple of new guys, Zach Britton and Andrew McCutcheon, have both expressed interest in coming back to the Yankees next year. Britton is going to be a free agent for the first time in his career. He's going to be 31 years old. Um, I'm assuming he's going to be looking for closer money, but perhaps the Yankees could just use the 13 million they're paying Robertson on Britain. Yeah, I mean, if Britain's coming out and showing that he's healthy again and showing he's one of the, those dominant guys, I have a hard time believing that uh, that that he would accept um, anything anything less than closer money, especially seeing what these what these guys have been making the past few years. I mean, you see what Mark Melanson made in San Francisco, and uh, you know that those are the contracts that that are you start that's where you start negotiating basically. And, and especially if you're showing that you're healthy, I think a lot of people are going to give a lot of money to, to a guy like Zach Britton. If he, if he shows it, but Cutchins, the other guy who says that, Hey, he wants to be here. I think every Yankee fan and their brother now wants him to be here. Everyone's um, fallen in love with McCutcheon. They are. And, and you know, he's uh, I don't think, well, I certainly didn't know, you know, like the, the full extent of his personality. I knew he was a personable guy, but I didn't know he was like this, this, uh, this funny dude who goes on Instagram and, and makes fun of himself. Um, the, the little, you know, the, the Instagram story that he had about him uh, falling in left field was hysterical. Uh, I love it. I love when people make fun of themselves, especially a pro athlete who takes it lightly. Um, I think it's great. And, uh, and you know, he's, he's been a, a good addition to this team. And Yankee fans are definitely falling in love with this guy for sure. He's been an OBP machine with the Yankees. Yeah, man. He sees a ton of pitches. Yeah, ton of really, pitches. Really, actually, really good leadoff hitter, which he was never a leadoff hitter in Pittsburgh or in San Francisco. He was a middle-of-the-order guy. 
but he's been a really good leadoff hitter uh, for the Yankees since he's come over. And, and I don't think it's any question. He's st- as, as long as Hicks is healthy, it's him and left, Hicks and center, judge and right for the wild card game. I don't think Gardner sees the field. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's the way it's going to go. If, uh, I do, um, just because that's that's been the what's what's working and trending lately. Um, but it'll be interesting to see because you know you'll have left you'll have a left-handed bat. Um, but the fact that that Gardner can play left and center field, and McCutcheon, if you needed him, could probably go out and play center as well, um, or right even. I mean, like they're they're pretty flexible because McCutcheon played right at San Francisco as well, um, and has played here. But the uh, so having Gardner, I think, on the bench as that lefty bat too, um, with a predominantly right-handed lineup, gives you flexibility in the outfield and uh, at the plate. So I do think they'll they'll wait with him as a weapon. All right, that's going to do it for us. Stay tuned for the Scott Braun segment, and we will talk to you guys on Monday. Remember to call the voicemail line again for your favorite and least favorite moments from the 2018 season. The number is 646-480-0342. Talk to you on Monday. I'm sitting in the crib dreaming about Learjets and Coops. The way salt shoots and how to sell records like Snoop. I'm interrupted by a doorbell. 352. All right, guys, I'm excited to bring on our next guest, Mr. Scott Braun from the MLB Network. MLB postseason begins Tuesday, August 2nd, and MLB Network will exclusively produce two National League Division Series games in October. You can watch Scott across MLB Network's coverage of the postseason, and you can also find him on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Braun. Scott, thanks for coming on. Scott, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to be here to chat with you for a few. It's always good to have another Jersey guy on. We talked a little bit before we started recording. Uh, might have some 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 Ridgewood ties. Shout out to my uh, my people sure. in Ridgewood and Ridgewood <laughs> High School. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're you're a Jersey guy. You've done a whole host of different different uh, sports as far as the the media side. So why don't you just kind of give a, a little bit of a background, just so everybody uh, just has a good feel for you know your history and where you've come from and and what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. I grew up in Warren, New Jersey, and if we want to tie it all the way back to early media days, for me, one of my first big opportunities was with News 12 New Jersey. I was actually in high school, and it's a long story, but had the opportunity to do some reporting for them. And I would go out with a cameraman in high school covering, for example, Monmouth University making it to the NCAA tournament, covering the NEC tournament, and then Monmouth getting in uh, to the postseason into the big dance and going to the selection show, stuff like that. So some really cool opportunities when I was young, minor league-wise or independent league-wise, I should say. I grew up near the Somerset Patriots, so I did some work for them, including when I was really young, I was definitely in high school, the on-field host. So you just stand in front of a bunch of people, run through trivia games, yeah. musical chairs, whatever, all that fun stuff for public speaking. And... Uh, if, if we go back even further, I guess, age 10 is when I figured out I wasn't going to make the NBA or Major League Baseball <laughs> or the NFL or any of that kind of stuff. Or I should have a very solid backup plan when there's somebody six foot plus dunking in a, in a U11 tournament. So I made sure that I had the solid backup plan watching, for example, and listening to Ian Eagle do Nets games. Um, definitely listening to Gary Keith and Ron on the Mets and Michael Kane company on the Yankees, stuff like that. So um, the dream started at a young age, and then I went to the University of Miami, did a lot of work outside of the school in addition to calling the games for the school, but um, worked for a bunch of dot-coms and, and digital sites, which was where I consumed a lot of my content, I think, before 
many others did. And then um, right after I finished school, I was calling games for ESPN and had a few other side gigs for hosting for fantasy football and baseball shows. And also I missed calling Cape Cod League games for a couple of seasons, include that too. And then eventually after all that stuff and a few other things on the side landed at MLB Network, I've been there for seven seasons and I have a few other gigs on top of that, but I could go all day. I was going to say, you media guys, you diversify, I feel like, when you're, it's one, I don't think you sleep, <laughs> two, I don't think you have an actual uh, physical location where you, where, you, where, you, where you should sleep or have things like, you know, your personal items. We've had Ruko on in the past, too, and that guy's constantly, either he's baseball, WNBA, NBA, like, I feel like you guys just are all over the place, so that's a, that's a lot of stuff yeah. to do. And, and I got to ask, at, yeah, at, I've, at age I've 10, yep. at age 10, you you said you find you realized at that point you weren't going to be the athlete. So what was it a skill thing? Was it a did you did you look up and see dad and see that he wasn't six five or what was the realization? <laughs> um, I was pretty good, I guess, for my age, and I actually grew at a pretty young age too and hit the six foot mark myself. Okay. I think probably at age thirteen or fourteen. Um, yeah, probably around that age, but. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the skill thing. I think just realizing once you got to the bigger tournaments, the AAU level, New Jersey is really good. I think basketball really hits you the most because of the growth and the Definitely. difference in, in, you know, physicality, I guess, because with baseball, and that's the beauty of the sport. I mean, you can have Jose Altuve standing next to Aaron Judge going for the MVP, but I don't think the hand-eye coordination was there. More of a bruiser growing up, you know, mm -hmm. rebounds, putting in a lot of garbage points. Um, stuff like that. So I just figured eventually I was going to hit my ceiling. And uh, it was good foresight because I started really at that age, no joke, hitting the video games, hitting watching the games and listening and taking notes. I remember taking notes on everything from how someone hosted a draft to how someone called a game to how they transitioned to a commercial break. And then I would practice myself and sometimes record it on tape. When I talk to kids nowadays, I'm like, you have a million options. Obviously, you can sit down and make a show and edit it and record it and on your phone and then watch it back and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the options are unlimited now, but there were plenty back then. I mean, there's only so many times you can listen to, you know, uh, Triple Play 99 or, or Madden and their phrases. So I would turn them down after I heard what they were doing and practice my own stuff. So that's how it went. And it's worked out. It, it worked out. It, it's really fun. And especially now, this year, I was able to call more baseball games than ever. We added a package. Um, I work uh, with Facebook uh, through MLB Network, and it's called MLB Live on Facebook Watch, and we would do one game a week, um, a national game, which was super exciting. And in the past, you know, I've called some games here and there for MLB Network and for SNY, some Mets games, but this was a really cool new opportunity and, and kind of brought a lot of things together for me and, and things that I was really interested either growing up or the way I consume media now. So I had a lot of fun with that too. Yeah, no, it's interesting, I think, how Facebook has, has and Twitter with football as well, and Twitter with baseball, I believe, uh, yeah. before Facebook, right? They, so the, the contract keeps, I don't know if they've split that contract or if it's, um, you know, if it's dedicated per social media per season or how that's working, but um, they've, the Facebook push has been, has been uh, big. I was, I, I have, uh, my, my mother-in-law's a big Nationals fan, actually, and I was able to get, she was uh, watching my son one day and couldn't watch the Nationals game. I said, I think it's on Facebook today, actually, and was able to bring it up and put, her on, put it on. But it was, it's a really cool, immersive experience, I think, what they do now with some of the social medias. They, they definitely dive in and bring in more of the audience. Pretty neat. And the options, it was really cool. Like, you can watch a normal game. I'm, I'm calling your standard game with two people in the booth with me, a couple analysts and a social media reporter. But then if you want to be more involved and engaged, just like people would do anyway when they're watching most games nowadays, somebody might chime in on social media. They have the opportunity to do that, but then actually get responses, which is the coolest part, because yeah. often they're looking for that, right? They want to see the reaction. 
So I'm constantly looking at that during breaks between innings, in between pitches, stuff like that, seeing relevant information that we can bring into the broadcast booth, make it like they're in the booth with us. And then also we had a lot of access for interviews. We would get usually two players, one per side, during the game for a half inning, and then also the manager for an extended period of time, more so than you get, say, on a TV broadcast because we we didn't have commercials, so we had more time in between. And I would just look at the comment section and relay questions right to the managers, which was really neat. So, for example, Clay Buckholz in the last game I did got scratched like seconds before the game started. So we're able to go right to, for example, Tori Lovello, manager of the Diamondbacks, and ask him questions, but ask them through the fans. The fans are like, when did you find out? Stuff like that. And I can just say, hey, Bob wants to know when you found out. Clay Buckholz couldn't go. How did that work? Stuff like that. So it was really cool. It's a new way and I kind of a unique way, I say, um, to get access to the game that you're watching if you want it. Otherwise, you can just watch the game as a normal fan, um, just, you know, on your TV, streaming through Facebook or on the computer, tablet, phone, etc. So I'm all in on the technology. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you have to be right at this point. It's it's taking over the uh, one the sports world, but the the regular the regular world as well. I mean, it's it's amazing how what you know how they can broadcast things um, to a million different devices now. It's it's pretty awesome actually if you're a big sports fan because you can you have no excuse not to watch a game. It's uh, it's great. So um, speaking of uh, the the different announcements and and what you're what you're doing, you're all over. Uh, it seems like you've you've done baseball, um, you've done hockey in the past. You said you were talking about doing uh, even some some high school stuff. What's your favorite sport to follow uh, and to announce? Uh, well, I do majority of my work, even though I definitely dip my toes in a lot of other spots, is, is baseball right now. So I'm, I've obviously fallen in love with the game. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge basketball guy and I still call basketball games in the winter too, uh, yep. mostly college basketball. I worked for the Miami Heat when I was down in Miami as well for ESPN.com. And it was actually around the time when LeBron was there. So it was very exciting and a little bit of Shaq down there too. So um, that was a lot of fun. But then right now, I mean, what I'm doing for the most part is baseball, especially during this time of year. So I'm completely consumed from Five days a week of studio shows with MLB, whether it's the rundown during the day or MLB tonight at night um, or some of the opinion shows we have, like filling in for Brian Kenny on MLB now on Sirius XM. I'm on there one or two times a week calling or excuse me, um, doing talk shows. So just blabbing about baseball for three, four hours. So and, and this year has been really unique, I think. I mean, this is, like I said, my seventh season with MLB Network where I, I was covering all sports more equally before I got to MLB. And then once I, I've been at MLB. I mean, when we're doing this stuff on a daily basis, we're really digging in and grinding. And I mean that in, in the best way possible so that people are watching our network and getting information that they couldn't get anywhere else. So whether it's, you know, someone's talking about, we go deeper into that trade. Hey, what's the farm system like for this team? Are they even capable? We're throwing it out to the national media. Hey, could this team trade for this player? But then we're going deeper. Like, do they even have enough in their farm system to trade for a player like that? Do they have a history of doing that? Stuff like that. So it's been really good, really neat to dive into that, which we do at NHL Network as well. I mean, we're not just talking, you know, Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. We're going, what's the fourth line look like for the San Jose Sharks right now? So, um, but on the baseball side, yeah, right now I'm heavily consumed, especially obviously as we enter October. And then I'll be traveling for the first round for the DS. I'll be covering, I can only tell you one team right now, obviously. It's, it's a Yankees podcast, so I'm sure everyone listening is hoping it's Yankees Red Sox. But I'm, I'm, I have my flight booked to Boston next week to cover that series. I'll be there for workout day. I'll be there every day at the ballpark pretty much all day, 14 hours. If anything happens, if anyone breathes there, we'll know about it. We'll talk about it. And then they'll either blame the Yankees or the A's. So for me right now, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very dug into baseball. But then if you talk to me in, uh, in January or February, I might be talking to you all about the Atlantic 10 and – 
um, you know, or talking to you about what else did I do this past winter, the uh, Conference USA and Middle Tennessee, stuff like that, which I also called those games for Facebook. So just like you said with Rico, I mean, I live and die with what's going on at the moment. So right now I'm all about baseball. But this, this year's unique because I think you have heavy hitters. I call them like powerhouse programs. I almost think of, you know, some of the college teams that would, in say football or basketball, that would just blow away weaker conference opponents. And you've especially seen that in the American League. And while we don't have tight races in some of the division races in the American League side, we have plenty to talk about on the National League side. And on the American League side, even though, say, Cleveland is playing, I don't want to say meaningless baseball, but they're, they're playing baseball that prepares them right now for the postseason. The anticipation is still there, watching, say, Trevor Bauer come back and see how he's going to look for his starts in October. It's just like we're ready for an epic postseason. The way the bullpens are handled now, I think we've reached a point where this, this tournament, because that's what it is in the month of October, is like <laughs> at another level because of the decision-making and because – there's so much information. Sometimes there's even too much information. And people say maybe the manager role has, has kind of been slimmed down and, and a lot has relied on front offices. I don't think that's necessarily the case because when push comes to shove, they have that feel or they have that decision to make. It's not like the GM is literally sitting next to them. So I just I think there's so much to, to digest. And I'm big on strategy and breaking things down like that. So the, the way that baseball is doing, being played right now, especially – setting up for the month of October is really right up my alley. You know, if you're somebody that likes to do franchise or dynasty mode in a video game, this is for you. It's funny because when you go to a restaurant and you have a bazillion options on there, it's good. You have the options. You're, you're happy that you have those options. But if you have a small menu, you, have, uh, you can make a decision easily. That's, that's kind of what the, the baseball managers are doing these days with all the analytics, with all the metrics, with all the information that they have. They have to then take that, digest it, and then make sure that it works on the field, off the field, however they're doing uh, their lineups and such. And whereas before, you know, I think before all the analytics got be, to be a big part of the game, it was a lot more feel. And, and I, I, you, you start hearing a lot of the, uh, a lot of people talking about metrics and, and how, in fact, actually on, on uh, Monday's Yes broadcast, David Cohn and Michael Kayer got into a conversation talking about bullpenning. I'm sure you hear about bullpenning from Brian Kenny. We've had him on the show, too, because he's, he's probably gloating and, and just uh, probably intolerable <laughs> at this point at uh, MLB Network because of uh, the, the opener. Yeah, the, I mean, everybody's <laughs> using the opener now, and Brian Kenny's just smiling. To yeah. Them. Uh, it's, it's insane. It's fun. I think, it's, I think it's, it's great for Brian. Uh, I think uh, I, I'm sure he loves every second of it. But they were talking about... Um, you know, a conversation about bullpenning and using other advanced metrics and, and if they think it's ruining baseball by making it less fun to watch for the average viewer. And, you know, I think that's interesting in the sense that um, if you're not up to date with all of these metrics, it's almost like a different language. So it, it is there is a gap, I think, when, when uh, you're, you know, you have, maybe you have, have a, uh, an older baseball fan or one that's, you know, more casual and not up to date with all these metrics and how they watch the game and how it's talked about. So what are your thoughts about the metrics and how the, base, how the game is going? Well, let's talk about it for postseason purposes first. So I do think, and we learned from this last year, that there is a line, right? We saw the Dodgers bullpen begin to crumble and fall apart, even Brandon Morrow, right, in the late stages of the World Series. So I think that there is a line and a threshold because there is still a limit on how much you can use in a roster. Really, what you see is in the month of September, it gets messy because you have so many players, more players to use. So that's a different story. But when it comes to the postseason, um, you heard it here first because it hasn't been talked about a lot, okay? And I, this, when I came into the season, I think I said the two biggest storylines were, what is Shohei Otani going to look like? Is he going to be able to do this? And number two, 
because, you know, doing a lot of radio hits and stuff like that right before the season starts, like, hey, Scott, what are you excited about? Number two is something we have barely talked about the entire season, and that's for good reason. That's why it's such a huge story. There is a timeout limit for people that have just, you know, woken up um, and now they're going to dig into October baseball. Say a Yankees fan that's, you know, knows that the team is, is going to make the postseason. They've had some cruise control going on, even though obviously it's been tough for them to get the A's off. You know, the Yankees are postseason bound for a while now. Okay. So now if you're paying attention in October, get ready. Because, for, for example, Yankees fans that have seen Brian McCann say in the past and Gary Sanchez call timeout every other batter to have a coffee talk on the mound, it's not going to happen anymore. We have a limit on timeouts um, on mound visits in Major League Baseball now. And it's something I, I don't know how much you've discussed it, but. Um, I talked about it a lot at the start of the season, a drop in the middle just because there aren't many visits and teams are saving them. But it's the same rules in October. So get ready because in the regular season, I thought there were too, too many timeouts as it is. Baseball fixed that. Now get ready for the postseason where there is – I don't know the exact numbers compared to the regular season, but obviously for anyone that watches pretty – like me, say every second of pretty much every uh, postseason game, you know how many times that – and I'm not talking about the pitching coach and the manager coming out. That's here and there. But how about the catcher calling timeout constantly, especially when a man gets to second base? It's not going to happen anymore. It's going to happen. It's going to happen six times per side per game, and that's it. And I think that is going to be a world of difference when we get to the postseason here. I still do think um, sometimes, especially in the regular season, there are quite a few pitching changes, probably too many for my liking, just because I'm a big flow guy. So I like the flow to continue. But I thought the mound visit part was, was the biggest part to fix. And I really give a ton of credit to baseball for doing that. So get ready for October. I mean, were you with me on that? Most people that I spoke to about it said, oh, yeah, of course, I, I would love to see that happen. And I'd been talking about it for years. And once it actually did happen, it's played out exactly the way you want it to. Because you have not heard a lick about it because it's working. So it's going to be talked about in October just because it's going to be a big factor. Teams are going to be like, wait, should we call timeout right now? It's a huge part of the game. It's only the second inning, but bases are loaded. Like, this could be the game, especially, say, if it's a wild card game between the Yanks and A's and those bullpens are so good. It's like, do you use the timeouts now? What if we get to the eighth inning and now we only have one timeout left? So it's something to think about, and I love it because they're going to be stuck. No, it, it absolutely does add another element of strategy, and I think it, it has, you know, for the for the most part, been uh, you know not discussed. I'm, I'm, we've talked about it in games, or you know, heard uh, our broadcasters talk about it because Gary Sanchez would go to the mound so often. Um, but you know, they've now had the entire season to, I guess, adjust to that rule and, and to try to, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more conversations happening, uh, uh, you know, a lot more planning in between dugout, in between uh, innings and and things like this, knowing that they, you know, have a have a hard limit on uh, on you know how many guys how many times they need to go out there. But it will be interesting because I, I have a feeling you're going to see a lot of them get saved towards the end of the games. And, you know, the, the first uh, four five, or first five, six innings might, might, might be uh, relatively quickly. And then we're going to see uh, innings six, seven, and eight, and nine take about two hours. So because they're going to have all these mound <laughs> visits and they're going to make sure that all that stuff is, is bottled up for the end of the game. So I, I think the MLB, uh, this is my, my whole thoughts on the, on the speeding up the game thing is like changes like that. That, that I think don't really affect the game themselves, I'm fine with. And I think players just adjust. You know, they just make the adjustments, players, managers, whomever, they make the adjustments. It's the stuff that they start talking about on field, the, the gimmicky stuff that they're testing in the minor leagues. That's where you lose me. You know, as, as long as you're not, you're not messing with the integrity of the game, to me, I have no problem speeding it up. You know, give, me more, give me more commercials in the middle of the game. You know, break, break in, between, uh, you know, uh, in between batters for a 15-second spot. Sure. Like, yeah. give, give me all of that I'm so we you. can cut the, cut the nonsense down and, and get to baseball. 
And then I'll, I'll comment on, on the rest of, I guess, managers uh, managing their bullpen and, and how things work, especially in the postseason, just because uh, you know, I've started to go through my notes and some of them from last year, too, and just from years past when I do my hits on MLB Network when I'm uh, on the scene at the ballpark. So, like, a couple quick stories, for example, um, just to show that, obviously, the manager and the front office being lockstep is so important. But at the same time, in the last couple of seasons, my first round series that I covered with NLDS was the Washington Nationals. And last year was against the Cubs. The year before that, it was against the Dodgers. I remember so vividly two years ago um, being in the Dodgers clubhouse, champagne, you know, flying all over the place. And I'm talking to Andrew Friedman about how Clayton Kershaw entered that game, right? Clayton Kershaw closed out the game and and we're having this conversation about that scenario and how it played out and how they envisioned it. And it was just a flat out. That wasn't even a conversation. Like he was like, I I don't, I don't remember. I don't want to obviously, you know, quote him exactly, but to summarize, I think whoever he was sitting next to something along those lines, they're sitting there going like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe Kershaw is coming into this game. Like as the GM, almost like you're sitting there as a fan, like you don't have control at that point. Right. right? I mean, obviously, um, Clayton said he was good to go, and, and Dave Roberts told us before the game, like, Clayton's not pitching. But Clayton clearly went to him, and that's something that developed during the game. And that's complete manager, coaching staff, et cetera. And, you know, um, I think those kind of stories are fascinating and still play to how much, you know, it matters for a manager. I think the manager job's difficult when you have to balance all of that in the front office now. I think it's a lot more time-consuming. It's a lot more of a psychology game, connecting with young players. And then the other part is, like, look at the World Series last year, which was epic. You had A.J. Hinch going off and on field, in my opinion, where he chooses to leave, say, Lance McCullers in a game and ride him out or Brad Peacock, um, stuff like that, where, I mean, that's not a front office literally going pitch by pitch saying, hey, A.J., this is it, pull him. I mean, they have suggestions. They have all kinds of charts, and it's really cool, and I'm totally into that. I mean, they've broken it down to a science where, where some front offices have – uh, or most, I should say, at this point, have um, ideas of which pitcher's pitches would work well against which hitter's weaknesses, stuff like that. Like, hey, I know this slider will break in a way that it's a weak spot for this particular hitter, finding holes and swings and, like, spray charts and all of that stuff that really interests me, and that can be helpful. But at the end of the day, you're still playing the game out. And I think on the other end, the biggest mistake in all of last season was the Dodgers leaving you Darvish in uh, game seven for way too long, in my opinion, coming off a brutal start. He couldn't get a grip on the baseball. His slider was flat. It looked like there was a confidence issue as well. So with all of that being said, you're not incredibly comfortable starting him. But then on top of that, Darvish staying in the game to let up, I believe it was five runs before he's taken out. The game's over by then. So when you have actually the Dodgers had the shortest leash, I think, of any team for the last few years with their pitchers, right? Not letting Rich Hill ever go deep into an outing and usually for good reason, just because he's much better first time around. Um, Really, this year, you can see first time around even compared to second time around. But so now it's the game of your life, right? And you Darvish is in there and he doesn't have it pretty much like pitch two, you could tell. His stuff is flat, and they leave him in the game for that. So, I mean, that's got to go on the coaching staff where they have a feel for how that pitcher looks. I mean, they had more faith in leaving him in the game. Meanwhile, who, Kershaw and or Alex Wood coming in that game, a lot of others in their staff on their staff looked good coming in after the fact, but the game was already over. So um, just remember that kind of stuff, I guess, when you're watching these games because I'm always fascinated about all these decisions that are being made. And I think it's that part strategically is more interesting than ever because – teams are so quick to pull the trigger on their starting pitcher. You just have to make sure that your bullpen is rested enough and that you're not pulling that pitcher too soon. Or that, like I said, you're not leaving that pitcher in for too long. That's what you're going to see with this wild card game too. It's going to be insane because the A's bullpen is stacked. The Yankees bullpen is really solid too. So, and it's, and now at this point going to be at Yankee stadium. So I'm really psyched. We got to talk about it. 
<laughs> no, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a, a fun game. It's gonna be you know, I think it's more fun for people who aren't Yankees fans because we're all gonna be all all Yankee fans are just gonna be sitting there uh, you know stressed out, <laughs> making sure that yeah. wh- whoever's starting this game you know can can hopefully get through like four innings. Uh, you know, best case scenario, I think we're looking at after what happened last year with Severino, um, you know, getting touched up early and then. Uh, the 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 dramatics with Didi the Didi home run and, and that comeback was uh, was a ton of fun. But I, you know I could use a little less drama this year to tell you the truth and and just to <laughs> just to win the game would be good for me because this year has been kind of a tale of two two different Yankees teams. Um, you know from the beginning of the season and their hot start, uh, everybody loving Aaron Boone to you know the second half when there's been injuries and Judge wasn't there and Sanchez isn't hitting and Bird disappeared off the face of the planet. Um, and, and you know so there's there's been a, a very different team and. You know, I think they're looking to uh, to get hot now towards the, the last week and try to get into Oakland. So, if you're if you're talking about that wild card game, what do you think the Yankees uh, should do as far as pitching? And do you think the A's will will bullpen this game? I think the A's will definitely bullpen this game. I, I've listened to Billy Bean speak recently. I've listened to their general manager David Forrest speak recently. I mean. I, they're the most shocking story of the season by far. Yeah. It's not even close. The fact that the Oakland A's, as we talk today, have 95 wins is insane. And it's not just because of what the roster looked like coming into the season. Because coming into the season, I already said, I mean, this team's no better than 500 if everything works right. Some players have career years. They stay very healthy. They are so, so damaged in terms of their starting rotation. I'm not even just talking about their starting five to, to begin the year where none of them um, have been healthy and on the roster the whole year. You go depth-wise, like five more deep, and, and some very talented pitchers that they have in their system that are not a part of this team right now. For example, I mean, A.J. Puck is incredibly talented. Uh, First-round pick out of the University of Florida, Tommy John surgery. I mean, the list for them is like eight to ten deep. Their best pitcher, I guess, as of, what, a month ago uh, was Sean Manaya, and he's out for the rest of the season with the shoulder issues. So it, it all comes down to a few guys that they signed. I think it was right, what, maybe – Two weeks before the season started, uh, Trevor Cahill. Yeah, they turned um, back the Anderson, clock. Turned back the then, clock with some old A's, yeah. brought them back. Yeah, and Edwin Jackson, who pops up, what, late in the season, what, maybe June or July, and they're like, Edwin Jackson's still going? And Edwin Jackson's been fantastic for them. So with all that being said, I mean, yeah, but you look at the DL for them. I'm just I'm – just, uh, I hadn't looked at it in a while for them. It's insane. I mean, Kendall Graven was their opening day starter. Um, Darrell Cotton, talented pitcher. Tommy John, Puck, like I said, Tommy John, um, Triggs had the triceps. I mean, it's, it's insane how many talented pitchers, Daniel Gossett, Tommy John. Um, these are a lot of their young hotshot pitchers. So you're looking at these veterans, and I'm, I'm just shocked that they've been able to, to get past all of this. And a lot of it has to do with a young, exciting lineup, a very strong defense led by Matt Chapman, who plays even better defense than Nolan Arenado. Yep, I said it, over at third base. And then starting-wise, yeah, so getting back to your question, um, whoever it is, they're not going to go very – there's 0% chance, I'll give you this, 0% chance they face the Yankees lineup the second time around. I would say – I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if they have a perfect game going and they sit nine in a row and then they still get removed. It, it's to that extent that the A's have been bullpenning. And I think David Forst put it well. Someone asked him, are you going to do the unconventional thing and do the bullpen kind of game in this wild card game? And he goes, well, shouldn't we kind of shift how we talk about this now? Like the bullpen thing, especially when you're talking about the A's, is actually the norm. Uh, the, the unconventional thing would be for them to actually say, here, Brett Anderson, here's the baseball, give us five. You know, that's not going to happen. 
So whoever starts for them is going to go maybe two innings. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see two of the starters, if they feel like going that way. But regardless, there's just going to be pitcher after pitcher popping up. If it's a nine inning game, you'll probably see somewhere along the lines of eight, nine pitchers. Also keep in mind, it's a wild card game. So you don't need to keep all of your starters um, on that roster. It's different than you would for say the division series. So you can pile up extra relievers which is something that Oakland will be able to do. So, um, yeah, I think they're definitely – I don't know. They don't know either. I honestly believe that. They've just started having – I mean, they've had meetings about it, but I think they've just started having more serious meetings because I think it became really clear last night that they weren't going to um, get home field. So they can really go, okay, we don't have to go crazy these last few days of the season. Let's rest up our relievers. Some of them are actually a little banged up and need some some time off. Let's rest up our relievers. Let's talk about how we're going to set up this wild card game. So whether it's Brett Anderson – um, or Edwin Jackson, someone like that that's beginning the game, you're only going to see them. It, it's like you might as well ask me who's going to appear in the game completely because whoever's starting for the A's uh, might not get the most outs in the game. You know, there could be somebody else that goes five, six outs for them and gets, and gets more, whether it's a, you know, Blake Trinan or Jerry's Familia. Uh, Lou Chirino hasn't been pitching well right now, but if they get him right. I mean, there's a ton of names on that bullpen. Sean Kelly has been fantastic for them. So I think that's how you look at it on there. And it's a drop more conventional on the Yankees side. I think that Aaron Boone will have a little more faith in either Masahiro Tanaka or Jay Happ if they're really riding well. Uh, as of right now, I think that they'll go with Jay Happ. That's who I'm leaning towards. I've been back and forth, obviously, as most have, between Tanaka and Happ. I think, obviously, Severino was fantastic to start the season, went through major hiccups. He, he looks like he's turning things around, but you, you save him for game one or game two of the DS and hope that you get there. Obviously, I'm, I, you wouldn't bring him out of the bullpen, but I think it's Tanaka or Happ. I'm leaning towards Happ. I think uh, sometimes Tanaka scares me being a little more homer prone because his mistakes get uh, – he can't afford to make mistakes, I think, in the same regard. I mean, he barely uses the fastball compared to any other starter in baseball too. So if he hangs one, I would just be concerned about him at Yankee Stadium. Um, and he's pitched better on the road anyway. So if this game was in Oakland, maybe I'm, I'm probably going Tanaka. If it's in the Bronx, which it's going to be at this point, I'm going Jay Happ to start the game. And then they're going to ride that bullpen, baby. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. It's, it's interesting how they're going to line it up. Um, you know, I think the if you talk to the play-by-play guys of the Yankees, uh, they were talking about last night, um, Severino, they still think he's going to be the guy. And, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was going to be Tanaka. I think that's that's probably the, the guy I'm looking at. And I think one of the big reasons is, you know, at some point you do have to look forward a little bit. You have to you have to have some uh, contingency plan if you do win, you know, so that you know what's happening next. And, and Jay Happ has extremely good numbers against the Red Sox. So having him... You know, able to go twice is not the worst thing in the world. Um, if he were to, uh, if they were to, to win this game, so. I, but I think it's a drop in the hat, honestly. From for all three of these guys, uh, every one of them, you know, could do well. Uh, I don't think one is uh, exceedingly a better option than the other one. Um, talking about the Red Sox, quick before we get out of here, the their their pitching staff, I think, is 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 you know the Achilles heel for this whole thing. Um, two and thirteen postseason uh, with their top three sale price Procello. None of them have won a game with the Red Sox in the postseason. Do you see any? I mean, these guys have to come out and, and pitch well. But bottom line, they have to come out and pitch well um, and, uh, and, and be the guys that they've been. And I think having Sale, um, you know, fully stretched out is, and, and effective is, is definitely a concern for the Red Sox. So while the Red Sox have had a ridiculous year and their offense is unbelievable, I still think it, it really depends on, on how this, uh, these top three guys pitch. 
Yeah, and I, for power rankings, and I've done this pretty much from start to finish the entire season, I picked the Astros to win the World Series. I still stand by that, and I still think they're the best team in baseball. And I'm not one of those guys that goes, well, they're defending champs, so you have to beat the defending champs. No, they're a 100-win team. Their pitching, if you look at their roster last year compared to this year, is so much better, especially out of their bullpen. I mean, their bullpen is dynamite now. They have probably 10 relievers um, that that should be on almost any other playoff roster, and they're going to have to make some serious decisions um, and, and I guess also have some really tough uh, conversations with some of their relievers and tell them that they're left off the list and, yeah. and then, you know, just be ready in case of an injury. But uh, on the Boston side, I mean, at, at this point, I would put them two or three because um, I think Cleveland's really strong, too. I agree with you. I mean, obviously, we don't know how David Price is going to look. I mean, and Price's numbers against the Yankees versus everyone else is also night and day. Please I think pitch against the, the Yankees. A's Please do, pitch against the Yankees. Yeah. Right? We want him. Well, what they're going to also do is, you know, David Price is going to pitch game two of, of the series, um, no matter what it is, and no matter where it is. I mean, I'm, no matter who it's against, I should say. Um, he's going to pitch game two, in, in my opinion. Um, but especially if it's, if it's the Yankees, he's not pitching at Yankee Stadium, period. It's not going to happen. They're not going to line him up that way. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, his last start when he got roughed up again against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, he didn't make many bad pitches. It's just that, like, there's a short porch in right field. It's just, it's just not a part that plays well for him for, for the fly ball that, that he gets, fly ball out in any other park. Um, it's just not built for that ballpark. And it's like you don't even want him to change much because he's been so good in the second half of the season. It's just that that lineup and that ballpark doesn't play well for him. I'm much more comfortable if I'm a Red Sox fan seeing him face the Yankees at Fenway Park. I'll say this quick. If, if the A's beat the Yankees, um, and I would say I've definitely put the Yankees as the favorite in that game, of course, uh, being home, having more experience, especially even in those scenarios like last year, it does matter. Um, I do think that the Red Sox could roll over the A's and they could be exposed in a five game series like that coming off a, a wild card game. And, um, you know, I could see the Red Sox winning series like that three Oh, or, or three to one in a best of five. I think the Yankees would put up much more of a fight against Boston. Um, and they've seen each other a ton of times already this season, but I'm not as concerned as you are only because I, I think, again, this is going back to the manager stuff. I think Alex Cora has made such a difference for this team from day one, whether it's going up to Mookie Betts and saying, hey, first pitch of the entire season, you're swinging at it, you weren't aggressive enough last year, and I think that's made a difference. Obviously, J.D. Martinez has, has changed the complexion of the lineup, but it's deeper than that. The biggest thing Alex Cora did in spring training was say, hey, we're going to lighten the load even more so than ever before on our starters right now, and then we're going to keep an eye on that. And I think what Chris Dale went through with his shoulder over the past couple months, I mean, it's not great news, but it's not as bad as it looks. I think they're being ultra conservative because if you look at Chris Dale, the trend with him is he always stays at the end of the season, mm -hmm. end of the regular season, or obviously last year in the playoffs. And I think that, I mean, if you look at how much he's pitched recently, it's not much. I think he's going to be in much better shape. So he's got to get the velocity up a little bit more, um, which he's got a game tonight as we're talking right now. So we'll see what it looks like. So it was down a little bit, but overall, I think he's going to be a stud. I think he's the one guy that can just, I mean, take this team to the next level World Series-wise. So I'm not worried about him. Yeah, you're definitely worried about Price based on his postseason track record, but you make sure they can pitch him at Fenway Park. And then and starting rotation-wise, I mean, there's some stuff to like in there, obviously. You know, Rick Porcello has experience there, either Eduardo Rodriguez or Nate Baldi. The problem and what you worry about even more so with the Red Sox is they didn't do anything in July or August to address the bullpen and the eighth inning ERA specifically their eighth inning ERA last time I checked was, was well into the fours, like say four, two, four, three, something like that. The Astros eighth inning ERA is like, it's the best in baseball. It's like 2.3, something like that. And that makes a huge difference. I mean, I, I think 
the bridging the gap to get to Craig Kimbrell. Now, they, they'll have either Ivaldi or Eduardo Rodriguez. Stephen Wright is going to be a really good weapon, and Alex Cora said he wants to especially bring him right after, bring him in right after, say, a sale or a price because he presents such a different look, and I think he's going to be strong. But that's, that's your weak spot there. I mean, uh, Brazier out of the bullpen um, is somebody that was pitching in Japan at 31 years old or something last year. I mean, definitely has found something, but you don't know how he's going to look in the postseason. It's just when you get to the playoffs, managers start to shorten their list of who they trust. So if the Red Sox do fall in the postseason, it's going to be because of their bullpen. Their offense is, is crazy. They're not going to, there's not going to be many, uh, you know, one nothing games that Boston's going to play in. And I think their starters will hold up, but the bullpen's where you worry about things. But, um, and I think it's a drop better than, than we think it is because they'll be able to use some of these, starters in a uh, relief role like right and and say it's Eduardo Rodriguez and uh, and Evaldi gets the start but but that's your problem spot and that's where the Yankees have an advantage for sure um, over the Red Sox and the Astros have I think a big advantage also over the Red Sox because they can keep up with them offensively they're a better starting staff and they're a much better bullpen yeah and we actually saw that last year with the Astros I mean their bullpen was was not good going into the playoffs but they you know relegated McCullers and Peacock and these guys that were starting into um, you know, a, a relief role and they pitched ridiculous out of the bullpen. And that was to me, one of the, you know, the big difference makers was, was having those guys out in the, uh, in the pen, you know, rather than just their, uh, the standard relievers that they had for the, you know, towards the end of the season. So I think the makeup of a playoff roster will look very different when it looks at a bullpen, when you have, um, when that's your weakness, cause you can kind of back that up with some other, um, starters. Scott, before, before last, very last thing, uh, I know you're, you yeah. do some Mets games as well. And I'd like to get your take on uh, this weekend, David Wright's going to do his uh, his final weekend, and we've had on the Yankee side, obviously, uh, some some of our uh, our heroes with Jeter and Mariano, and, and they've just been really special moments. Um, I, I've always been uh, I've always respected David Wright, uh, and uh, and liked how he played the game, and I think it's unfortunate how his career ended with the injury. It's to me, it gives me flashbacks of Mattingly. Um, I'd like to uh, what, what's your what are your thoughts on the weekend and uh, and how that's going to go down. Yeah, I mean, I think it's special for Mets fans, and obviously it's, it's going to be crazy on Saturday for them to all be there. It's going to be a packed house, and uh, they're going to honor and look at David Wright's milestones and, and where he leads the franchise and stuff like that and talk about him as one of the greatest Mets ever. Um, I get that, but what I also like to do, especially in, in the media, is, step, is continue to talk about how amazing David Wright is as a person and as a ball player um, to represent the game, whether it's, you know, dealing with fans, answering every question for the media, you know, taking advantage of, of basically any opportunity that's ever given to him to, to market the game, to market the sport, to mentor young players. I, I can't say enough about how special he is and, and just from my experiences, but then from so many writers and broadcasters that have been in the game for decades and they put him like if we made a power rankings list of best guys in the game. And we say that sometimes, right? I work with many of them because they end up being great broadcasters like Jim Tomey and Carlos Pena and Cliff Floyd and all those kind of guys, right? David Wright would be on, on an all-time list. I, I honestly believe this. He would be on at least a top 10. And obviously it's not like I've come across every player and all that. I'm going a lot off of stories and off of writers that are, are much older than me and have been in the game for a much longer period of time. Like that is special when you think about it. So him as a person, and I hope that he stays in the game. I've kicked around. Obviously he would be a fantastic manager. He's really smart. He connects with everyone. He's, he's so appreciative. Um, and he wants to know your story too. I mean, there's so much to like there. I don't know if he's going to do that because it's such a grind. I, I did hear actually what in the past 24 hours, or at least saw a story. I didn't read it yet, but saying, 
that it looks like he wants to get involved uh, with the front office to some capacity. I mean, that's, that's, that would be an amazing advantage and benefit for the Mets. I mean, yeah, as far as a player, obviously it's a terrible injury. Um, and it's, it's not the same exact injury, but, you know, we've seen this stuff with other players too that have had careers cut way too short. I mean, I think about, and just feel bad because I remember the press conference with Prince Fielder and I believe he was crying when, when he went through the same thing. Yeah, yeah they were retired super early with the neck and the back issues, stuff like that. So it does happen. Um, I have a lot of doctors in the family, so I also just get nervous when he was trying to come back all this time. Like, I hope he's not damaging anything long-term. And so ultimately, like, he gave it his all. Um, but yeah, I respect the player so greatly. And I think this is a great way to kind of do a little finishing touch here and, and see what he can do and, and really just get that last applause, right? Like that last walk off the field. So you can say, hey, I, cause he's been trying at this again for, for what years now it's been like eight, 900 days since he's played in a major league game to just have that one final time where maybe he gets like Victor Martinez did this past week. It doesn't even matter what it is, like an infield hit or something like that, whatever it is. And they, and he's at first base and they can remove him and, and stuff like that. And maybe he has a speech. So, but, but he's someone, if I'm the Mets that I want to keep involved as much as possible in any capacity, like I'll give him, you know, as much as he wants to, to take on in terms of maybe being, you know, helping with the, uh, the farm director of the team helping with front office moves, all that kind of stuff. I think he's fully capable of doing that. And, and with him trying to come back for this amount of time, it shows you how dedicated and how much like even potentially personal, like sacrifice for his own body, how much he cares about the game and the sport itself. That clearly means to me that he wants to remain in the sport. That's someone that I would want to have on my side. So, I mean, you can't say enough about him. And as far as the player, yeah, it's a good comparison. Like guys that were, that had their career cut too short because of um, chronic injuries like this. So he's, he's on that list, but I have the utmost respect for David Wright. I mean, he's one of my favorite. He'll be one of my favorite baseball players and people of all time, just based on not meeting anyone that's ever had one negative thing to say about him. Yeah. If you look at the numbers between Mattingly and Wright, I, I did a comparison of their numbers and their, they're eerily identical. It's pretty crazy how, how close they are in numbers and, uh, and, and with their careers. So, uh, Scott, hey, man, I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. And, uh, guys, just as a reminder, the MLB postseason does begin on Tuesday, October 2nd. And MLB Network will exclusively produce two NL Division Series games in October. You can watch Scott across MLB Network's coverage of the postseason. And you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Braun. Again, Scott, thanks for coming on, man. It was a, it was a lot of fun talking to you. Hey, this was fun. Uh, what's going to happen on my way out here? I mean, obviously you're on a Yankees podcast, but um, I'm going to Boston. Who am I going to see? The Yankees or the A's here? <laughs> there's there's zero doubt in my brain that you're going to see the Yankees. There's that, absolutely no doubt. In my okay, brain. good. I'm scared. Just, just I'm making scared sure, shitless. Because okay? I got to prep. <laughs> <laughs> I got to prep right now. So I'm like, am I prepping? I'm prepping Red Sox stuff and storylines. I'm like, am I prepping Yanks or A's? Because then the next morning I'm at... Uh, I'm at batting practice, and I'm at the workouts and stuff like that. So who am I talking about? But all right, I'll take your word for it. Good talking to you, Scott. Thanks, man. Anytime. Let's do this again. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 
With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.